0: pray and we ask for your presence. Lord, we need you. Lord, we have celebrated your name in this room and believe, Lord, that you are all we need. We declared with our voices that you are the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. We, we declared that we would willingly lay down our trophies and cling to the cross. And Lord, we just heard The power that brought Jesus from the grave is the same power that saves lives. So, Father God, we welcome your presence, and Lord, we desire to hear from you, to be led by you, to be changed by you today. Lord, we need you. Lord, would you speak to us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. I don't know about y'all, but we were singing the song... um, and, and singing the words, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away our sins. And where I was seated, I was closed my eyes and I could see John talking about Jesus coming. And I could see Jesus walking into the water where John was. I, I could see him moving through his life and, and healing the sick and speaking to the lame and, and bringing people from the dead. I could see him moving. And then it said, His life makes us alive again, and I saw Jesus walking out of the grave. And I felt that in my heart, Him moving in our lives, Him not just showing up, but still showing up. I think that's the most amazing thing about Jesus, is not that He came and He was, but that He continues to be. Jesus is alive, and because of that, we have hope today. We have something to hold on to. Man, our world is crazy. And you know why it's crazy? Because we're here. Right? We make it crazy. We are the circus. We are the monkeys in the circus. But praise God, he sees through our crazy and he saves us. Despite us, man, we need him. Man, I don't know about you, but every day I need him. I need Jesus in everything I am with all I've got. And because I need him and see my need of him, it should awaken us that the world needs him. I can't imagine what it would feel like to spend every day without him because I spend every day with him and I need him so desperately to get through my days. I need him so desperately because I need saving. I need help. I need somebody that guides my heart. I need somebody that's there for me when I feel like I don't have anything else to give. I need someone that's there that speaks over my heart when my heart is deceitful. I need those moments because I see how desperately I need him in the mirror. And it makes me think how desperately the world must be without him. You know, the only way I know to describe it is going back to our kid years when we would dive off the diving board. We'd go deep underwater and all of a sudden you and I both had the same necessity. We needed air. I don't know about you, but I don't open my eyes underwater. I've never been able to do it, I don't know why. Um, it's God's protection to me. We talked about why you should never swim in city pools before in this room, but it's God's protection over me, I guess, but I don't open my eyes underwater. So I have like this innate sonar that goes towards air. And so when I go underwater, immediately I'm going towards air. I'm trying to grow more buoyant as time goes on in this endeavor. So I just bobble up on the water. But I just do that. But for those of y'all that open your eyes, you don't open your eyes to see the water. What are you looking for? Air. You're looking for the sun because that's where the air is at. You're you're swimming towards the top. Can you just imagine people living without the work of Jesus are living underneath the surface of the water and they're drowning. And they don't have any clue where life is at. You and I are called to be lifeguards. It reminded me the other day, April and I were at the south campus of San Jacinto Christian setting up for the junior high dance. Woo! Um, And as we were setting up, on the wall was a book. It was the first aid lifeguard book. And I remembered it. Because when I was in eighth grade, we all had to take lifeguard certification at my school. All of us. It was the same book. And I I opened it up. I can remember the pages. I can remember the things in it. I was like, wow, I remember taking a test over that. I can remember studying that. It it drew it all back to me. The reason lifeguards can be lifeguards is because they know how to swim. you imagine if a lifeguard didn't know how to swim? You're in there, and you're struggling to get above water, and you're like, help, help. And he goes, I'm on my way. And he jumps in, and you're like, where'd he go? But see, you know how to swim with Jesus. He saved you. He's made you. He's created you. And he's leading you. And you and I are called not to be the Savior. We're called to be lifeguards. We pull people towards that which saves them. That's what we get to do with our lives. And today as we look at the scriptures together, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 9. Starting with the 35th verse, I want you to see it through the lens of being a lifeguard. Today I want you to see that you can't ignore people. You can't ignore it. There's a problem out there. People need Jesus, and you and I can't ignore it. I mean, if we went outside today and the rain that Doppler Dave promised us really hit, and outside, it rained eight foot of water. And all around town, people were drowning, and you and I knew how to swim. How poor of people would we have to be to watch them drowned? That's the visual I want you to get with Jesus saving people. He sees that they're drowning, and we see that they're just hanging out on the beach. Your neighbors, your family members, your co-workers, your classmates without Jesus are drowning to death. That's how Jesus Sees them. So let's look at the text together. Matthew chapter 9, starting with the 35th verse, it says this Jesus continued going around to all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every sickness. When he saw the crowds, he felt compassion for them because they were distressed and dejected like sheep without a shepherd. And then he said to his disciples, the harvest is abundant, but the workers are few. Therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. Jesus has compassion on people because he sees them like they're drowning. You see, when Jesus encountered people, he loved them deeply. He loved them because he knew that they were unstable at the time. He saw the woman at the well. He saw the rich young tax or the rich young uh, wealthy man. He saw all these people and he had compassion on them. He wanted to slow them down because if you're a lifeguard and you jump in the water, remember how saying this? And somebody's flailing around, what do they want to do to you? They want to drown you so that they can stand on your head. And so Jesus saw that and he had compassion for them. But I just want you to see the fullness of this text. I wanna unravel it with you as we close out this time of who's your one. But before we do, I wanna ask you a question. Are you praying for your one? Are you asking that God would supernaturally step into their life and speak over their hearts? Have you prayed that God would open their ears, their eyes, that they would see his compassion, his love, and his patience? Are you praying for your one? Are you asking God to step in and meet their heart's need? Are you asking that God would awaken them so that they would hear the gospel? And are you teaching and preaching it to them? Are you showing them that there is a way and his name is Jesus? Not a church. Not a Bible study. Jesus. There is many on that day that will know a lot of scripture, but not know Jesus. Let's not forget the enemy. Satan himself knows scripture. It's not about knowing scripture, even though we should. It's about knowing Jesus. He opens everything up. He is the way through. He is the way. Two years ago, the church sent me on sabbatical. And so I spent one of the days with a group of pastors in Dallas, sat around a, a table with them, eating some great Mexican food and just asking questions. How would you handle this? What would you speak into me as a pastor? What, what are five key things that you wish every pastor knew? And, and these guys served like I did. They, they were just like me, but man, I soaked it up. I took notes. Well, as we ended our time, I, I had some time. My flight came back the next day, and so... I was like, what am I gonna do with my time? And so I went online and I, I decided I'm gonna take a tour of the star at Frisco. That's where the Dallas Cowboys practice. Thought this is gonna be fun. So I booked my ticket and I went back to the hotel and got ready. I, I had a Dallas Cowboy shirt, I put it on. Felt all spiffy. I got there. And there's a security guard, and I stood there, and he goes, You're here for the tour tonight, huh? And I said, Yes, sir. He goes, It's gonna get canceled. I said, excuse me? He goes, it's going to get canceled. Players are about to dismiss from their practice, and you're the only one on this tour. He said, I promise you, it's going to get canceled. I've been here a long time. So I sat there, and the man began to tell me that he was from New York City and that he was a diehard New York Giants fan. But one of the years, Jerry Jones came to New York for an owner's meeting. He was working security. And after the owner's meeting, they all left the room except for Jerry Jones. And he came out and he shook his hand and he said, Sir, I appreciate you working security. It means the world to me. If I can ever do anything for you, let me know. And he handed him a business card. He was a nobody is what he said. But what happens next is his security company in New York folded. He was without a job. And so he called Jerry Jones and said, I need a job. And he goes, funny you should ask. We're opening a new practice facility, and I need a security guard. And so there he was, a New York Giants fan, (sighs) working security at the Dallas Cowboy Practice Facility. He told me his testimony of how he got there. I was standing there, and I thought, well, I mean, I'll go to a movie or something. And up walks the tour guide. She looks at me and she said are you ready? And I was like sure. She goes let's go and here we began walking through the star at Frisco. Security guard, tour guide, me. We would stop at places and she would say you know normally we'll spend about five minutes here and everybody kind of walks her and takes pictures. It's just you take your time. So I'd go Okay. <laughs> Should say, well, we gotta wait a little bit, we gotta time this out. So let me explain some things to you. Did you know this carpet is called this? It's made by the carpet company for the Jones family. Cause that blue in the carpet is Dallas Cowboy blue. No one can print that color in carpet without paying the Joneses. Well, that's pretty cool. We go to the next place. We went through every little thing. I got to spend extra time with Tom Landry's hat. Haha. <laughs> I was like, ooh, ah. Well, then that security guard leaves, and a new one comes up. And he says, can you keep your back against the wall, sir? And I'm like, sure. He goes, put your phone in your pocket. I said, okay. And So here I am. I'm standing against the wall like this. My terror guy takes five steps out. And she's smiling, looking at me, smiling forward. And down the hall, some doors open. Wow out walked the Dallas Cowboys. All of them. All the coaches. All the commentators. They all come walking towards me. I'm standing here like this. (laughs) You know, I thought I was cool. I thought I was like, what's up Dallas Cowboys? But I wasn't. I had the Kool-Aid smile. (laughs) And they all walked past me and, and I saw them all. I I'm looking at these giants that on TV look like they're my size. It was a reminder, I'm not a Dallas Cowboy. Um, But it was mesmerizing. Because I had entry into something I didn't deserve to have. It should have gotten canceled. I should have been sent home. But I got to stand where I shouldn't have been at a time that I didn't belong in. And I got to watch everybody pass by. You and I don't deserve God's grace, don't deserve his love, don't deserve his compassion, his patience, his hand of mercy, but he gives it in Jesus. And it allows us to be in a place, in a time that we don't belong in, in a time that you don't deserve, that I don't deserve. I've heard people say a million times, our world just keeps getting worse, because we've seen it, right? I've been on the planet long enough to realize Things have gotten worse. But this may be the best time for this generation. Shouldn't we show them Jesus now instead of going, well, it's all going to go away anyway. I'm safe. Watch them drown. Watch them drown. Watch our neighbors drown. Watch our friends drown without Jesus. You see, you were put at the place you are in, In the moment that you're in, for a reason, you have the job you have not because you just earned it, even though you put in the time, you may have had sweat equity, but I can promise you this God put you there for a reason. At this time, with those people, they're waiting for you to bring Jesus to work with you. I mean, at some point, we have to make a decision. We either have to ignore him completely or embrace him deeply. As we walk out of the door of our house, we either have to, like a dog is left at the door, leave Jesus and go, I'll be back for you later, Jesus. Just stay here. Be good. I'll see you later. And shut the door behind us. Or we go, lead the way. I'll follow you. You lead the way and I'll do what you call me to. I'll I'll talk to who you ask me to talk to. I'll do what you ask me to do. Because at the end of the day, here's what's going to matter. Did you live like Jesus was really real now? Because we all at some point are going to live with Jesus is really real then. Whether you know him or not, we're all going to have that awakening that Jesus is really real one day. Because we will stand before him. And so will our neighbors, and so will our family, and so will our teachers, and so will the guy at the gas station, the woman behind you in line at Walmart. They're all going to face him. And we can do this. We can simply say, I know you can't swim, but jump in. Or we can say, let me show you how. Let me show you the way. So when Jesus sees these people, he starts with this key core thought, the work that Jesus calls us to is vast. That's why he has people with different gifts, different abilities, different talents. He doesn't need a million cows walking around in this world, he needs a you. That's why he called you, that's why he made you. And I believe this with all of my heart, the greatest work that'll be done in this generation will not come from behind pulpits. It'll come at desks, it'll come in work, it'll come in traffic. It'll come with people. The question is this. Do we believe the work is vast and do we believe we have a part in it? We will when our hearts become like Jesus, but our hearts must become like Jesus. They have to. We have to start seeing a transformation of our hearts that leads us to look more and more like him. Our hearts must become like Jesus. But listen to how Jesus sees the crowds. He's working, right? Verse 35 says he goes from town and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, healing every disease and every sickness. Verse 36 says this, when he saw the crowds, he felt compassion for them because they were distressed and dejected like sheep without a shepherd. People are unprotected wanderers without jesus that's what a sheep is an unprotected wanderer it doesn't have a defense it can run but it's not very fast it can fight back but it has no great fighting tactic that needs a shepherd man if we looked at the life of david david is a shepherd and look at what he fights off he fights off lions I mean, that's what's coming to our neighbors. That's what's coming to our coworkers. That's what's coming to our friends. Satan is not sending other lambs. He's sending lions to kill. And we're watching it. And so it's sport because we're safe. We have a shepherd. I mean, if they wanted a shepherd, they'd come to our side, right? They have no clue that what you have in you is worth it yet. They need to hear it from you. They need to see from you that when Jesus came into your life, it made a difference in your life. It wasn't just okay. It changed you. He's leading you. He sustains you. April and I have this great thought that all the time she drives her her vehicle around until she asks me to drive. And when she asks me to drive, it's because she's on empty. That's the reason. She's like, hey, would you like to drive? And I'm like, sure. Hands me the keys. We get in. It's like five miles till empty I'm like babe what what happened she goes oh let's let's go fill up which means what you fill up right I can do this because she's not in the room right now anyways marital counseling thank y'all uh but listen that's what our neighbors are, are running on they're running on empty and they have no clue that they're about to run out you ever run out of gas in the middle of nowhere It's scary, isn't it? I mean, if you're running out of gas in the city, you're like, at least I can walk somewhere and get some gas. If you're in the middle of nowhere, you don't know where you're going to get it from. But here's the thing. Our neighbors are out of gas, and they're filling their tanks with anything they can get their hands on. You know what happens if you fill your tank full of water? What happens? Your engine dies, right? What if you fill it full of Coca-Cola? It'll never stop. Uh, It just continuously, it leaps mountains. Uh, Anyways, no, it dies. And our our neighbors are filling their lives with everything they can possibly use to fuel their lives. And they don't realize this, but they're just killing themselves more. You ever poured out Coca-Cola on cement? Try this out at your house. You'll love this idea. Go home, grab a Coca-Cola on the way home, Go in your front yard, find some cement on your driveway or out in the walkway, and just pour out some Coca Cola. You know what's going to happen? Ants. That's what's going to happen. It takes them that long. They're going to find it, they're going to live on it. You're going to love them because they're going to come to your house to eat. Um, That's what happens. But the problem with it is this that's what's eating our neighbors. They have nothing to sustain their lives on. And Jesus sees these people, and he, he says it in Scripture. How do we know he told them? This is how I see them. Verse 36, they're, they're distressed. They're trying at anything. What can help me? Who can help me out? They're dejected. They tried everything, and it's always blown up in their face. And then it says this, like sheep without a shepherd. They're wanderers. They don't know where to turn. They keep grasping at things that can't help them. And so what does he do about it? Does he simply just do what he's always done? I believe this. From the moment Jesus shows up, he is always giving us his ministry. Always. And he does it here. He does the most amazing thing. He turns to his disciples. So Jesus calls his disciples To two key movements that i want you to see in this passage number one notice the unworked harvest he says it to them verse 37 the harvest is abundant but the workers are few i mean look at how big the harvest is it's unmanageable and the workers that are there can't even keep up look at it he's telling them look look at the crowds look at them no one's there to help them They're just sitting there waiting and no one's talking to them. No one's speaking to them. Notice it. See it. I mean, Jesus constantly saw it. You got to imagine when did Jesus start being God? He was always God wrapped in flesh, right? So when did Jesus first see the world through God's eyes? You imagine teenage Jesus, we don't get much of his life. At that moment, what did he see? We do get his adult life. And we see from the moment we get his adult ministry, he is broken by the people. We hear it in his words. We see it in his actions. And so what does he tell the disciples? He starts by saying the harvest is abundant, but the workers are few. And then he says this, Therefore pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. Jesus said, pray for workers. Pray for workers. In your God, I listed a, uh, a quote from Warren Wiersbe, who says, in the same way, when we pray as he commanded, we will see that what he saw, feel what he felt, and do what he did. I want to read it again to you. In the same way, when we pray as he commanded, We will see what he saw, feel what he felt, and do what he did. He was coaching his disciples. Pray because when you pray, you'll do what I do. Pray and ask God to send words to the harvest and then you'll finally go. Pray because when you pray, you'll start to hear my heartbeat instead of yours. Pray because when you pray, you'll see the world like I see the world and you'll start to reach them. You know, during this time, as we've talked through who's your one, we have to identify something. The reason we probably don't share our faith is we don't see the world like Jesus does. And we need to pray that we start to. We need to start praying for our neighbors desperately. We need to start praying for those family members that I know you have been even more fervently. We need to start praying for our classmates desperately because they need Jesus like we need Jesus. So let me finish with some questions. Will you have noticed the harvest? Will you you have noticed it? And when will you? Will you notice the harvest today? I'm going to have a time of invitation here shortly. I'm going to ask you to do something dramatic today as we end this series. I'm going to ask that you pray for people that don't know Jesus And if today you don't know anybody that doesn't know Jesus, I'm going to ask that you would pray that God would open your eyes to see them. They're everywhere. And here's what's more. I'm going to pray that you have the boldness to ask those in your circle of influence if they know him how desperately we must not care to not know. We should know. Every year, on my staff, we do something every year. The fair comes to town, and we go out to eat together at the fair. We, we start to talk about the date leading up to it. We're going to go on that day, and we're going to go to the fair, and we're all going to eat together. So many like y'all in your workplace, we, we start asking around, are you going to go? Are you, you going? You, are you going? Are you going? Are you going? And we get our group together, and we all go to the fair together, and we all get cholesterol in our veins. It's, it's what the fair's for. We don't ride, ride, so we don't get out of the cholesterol after we eat it. But we we eat and we enjoy it. We enjoy the grease once a year. And we ask each other, "Are you going? Are you going? Are you going?" Let's we'll start asking our coworkers, "Are you going with me?" One day I'm going to be with the Lord. How about you? What if you started to say, "Hey, would you go to lunch with me and just have?" My, my crazy pastor's asking us to ask some questions and I've got to practice on somebody and I know we know each other and we go way back. So would you allow me? Because it'd be so much easier with you than people I don't know. And sit across the table and say this. Okay, my pastor said that I need to ask people in my life, has there been a time in your life that you knew that you had sin in your life, that Jesus could forgive it and ask him to come forgive your sin and lead your life? And wait for a response. I believe people are always waiting for Christians to ask a question. They're just waiting. So let me ask you the last thing. Will you pray? Will you pray? Will you pray like Jesus asked his disciples? Lord, show me the harvest. And Lord, send people. And Lord, send me. When God always asks for people to show up for Him, He always asks in a question of, "Will you come with me? Will you go? Who will go for me? Who who will stand on my behalf?" And I wish I could tell you through all of Scripture, everybody said yes. They didn't. That's why it's there, so you and I would know that in times that we don't feel it, we're not alone. But praise God that there are men and women who said yes and went and spoke and had courage to fill in the gaps. Today, let me ask you a question. Will you notice the harvest? Will you pray? As we come to our time of invitation, I want you to be bold in this prayer. If you can physically do so, I would like for you to come down to the altar and kneel and pray and ask God to open your eyes to the harvest and that God would give you a heartbeat to reach out to people. If you're physically able, please do so. I believe now is the time that Christians awaken and pray that God would open our eyes to people who need Jesus. This morning, we'll be down here once again as we always are to meet with you, to pray with you, to hear how God's speaking in your heart. If maybe today you don't know Jesus and you're curious about how to, and and maybe you've heard it all your life, but you have never made a step towards Jesus to say, I need him in my life. I would love to talk to you about the next steps of that. We believe this when Jesus speaks over lives, those people will change the world. And so today, listen to him, follow after him, and may today be your day that you come to know him as Savior and Lord. Let me pray for you. Father God, the harvest is plentiful. Lord, may we see. The harvest of people, people drowning in our midst that we're not reaching out to. And God, may we have a heartbeat to reach out to them. Lord, we need you. We need you desperately. So because of that, Lord, we ask that you would show us how we can reach out to a world that doesn't even know how they can fill their tanks. God, they're running on empty and they don't even know it. Lord, some are running on things that are going to destroy them. And they feel like they're just fine. But Lord, there's only one way by which a person can be saved. And it's not through good works. It's not through anything but falling into the life of Jesus. He is what saves us. He made us and he saves us. So Father God, may we be captivated by that thought. May we be broken with a lost world that is drowning without any help. Lord, would you send the lifeguard? Send them, Lord. Send them boldly. Send them courageously. Lord, send them in every area. Lord, the ministry is vast. We need people going to every area with Jesus. And Lord, may we have the eyes to see the world the way that you do. Lord, we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.